Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 51 of If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking. I am your host, Archie Mitchell, and it is great to be back with you here once again. Last week, we only covered AEW Dynamite and NXT 2.0 Spring Breaking. Well, this week, the entire show is back. Yes, we have got NXT 2.0. We have got AEW Dynamite. We have got AEW uh, Rampage. And we even got a ton of quick hits for you here tonight. Uh, I want to thank you guys for the outpour uh, and the congratulations uh, of 50 episodes. Uh, Here's to 50 more. Thank you for the continued support and being there for me and everything that's been going on. And I must say, I have some of the best listeners, fans, and friends out there in the uh, internet wrestling community. So again, thank you guys so, so much. We have a lot going on in the quick hits department. So I'm going to tell you right now, go ahead, open up, crack it open, your favorite frosty beverage, strap in. And listen to me spew my venom, my hate, and my love for the world of professional wrestling. Let's get into some quick hits. Number one, Charlotte Flair taking six months off from the WWE after injury during loss to Ronda Rousey and to get married to Andrade from AEW. Now, the injury is definitely kayfabe. She did not get injured. She just wanted to be written off TV, ladies and gentlemen. And that is coming from some of the biggest writers in the wrestling world. Now, I talked about this during the last time I did Grind My grinds my Gears, before I took that couple of weeks off, about Charlotte no longer being in the title picture. Uh, and look at this. She lost to Ronda Rousey. So rather than staying around, helping to evaluate some talent and actually having good matches without the title, she decided she's going to take her ball and go home for a few months. Well, what did he do? Um, congratulations on the marriage, Charlotte. I hope you and Andrade last. Although with a dad like Ric Flair, I don't imagine that that marriage is going to last too damn long. But uh, you did exactly what I said you were going to do. You can't help but be in the title picture. And if you can't be in one, well, then you'll just go home. Um, it's a little ridiculous. You look at Becky Lynch over on Raw. She lost the world title uh, to um, Bianca Belair. And, yeah, she's still somewhat involved in the title picture, but she's not going to win the title back anytime soon. No. Uh, If anything, you look at Asuka, you look at Bianca Belair, you look at some of the other women like Liv Morgan and Rhea Ripley, there is a great division there, and I don't think Becky needs to be the champion. But she also feels that way and doesn't have to be taken off TV. Um, So... In any indication, Charlotte Flair proves that she is nothing more than a title whore. Number two, Rhea Ripley joins Edge's new stable at Backlash. Um, And that's a great fit, in my opinion. There were plenty of rumors going around that both herself and Tommaso Ciampa were going to join the Judgment Day faction. Um... I think she fits perfectly. I know that she's got a very brother-sister relationship with uh, Damian Priest, so they work together well. And I know that her and Edge do have a little bit of dealings with backstage. I think she's the perfect addition. You've got Damian Priest, who is the heavy. You've got the mastermind and Edge. And, of course, you need the other powerhouse, but on the women's side of things, in Rhea Ripley. 
I could not be happier for her. I don't think that she should have ever been a face because she was not playing the face in NXT UK or when she first came to NXT in the United States. But in any indication, they made her a baby face or a tweener. The fans were behind her, but not so much lately. Ever since that whole uh, Nikki A.S.H. thing and forcing her to be with Liv Morgan, uh, I think that Rhea became complacent. And I think that this new crew, um, this new stable with Edge and Damian Priest, and if they add any more members, is going to help bring her into a new level, uh, is going to help her have even better matches than she's had before. And I think it's going to lead her to a world title victory in the women's division. So congratulations to Rhea Ripley. And I hope to see more out of Judgment Day because they are by far one of the best things on Raw right with uh, RK Bro. Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins tear the roof off of Backlash. That is number three. And guys, this is no surprise here. Cody Rhodes was having amazing matches in AEW. So it's not like he was going to come to the WWE and half-ass it. He wants the world title. And Seth Rollins is by far one of the best wrestlers on the damn roster. So when you put those two elements together and you allow them to battle back and forth, you allow them to trade promos like they've been, it's been fantastic. The only part of this feud that I didn't like is that Cody wanted Backlash was a great matchup, and it's not that I didn't like Cody winning at Backlash, but he then kind of wrote off the feud with Rollins on Raw and said that he's moving on. He had a United States title match, and Rollins decided, well, I'm not going to stand for this and attack Cody. Now, Cody is up two to nothing. What does a third match really do for them here unless they go into just continuing to feud but in other matches, such as the Money in the Bank match that's coming up, such as a match at SummerSlam, it really doesn't make so much sense in this view because, like I said, Cody is now 2-0. Had Cody lost by disqualification or done something to cause a third match, by all means, I understand it. But this seems like a little bit of lazy booking in that the writers are saying, well, they're having great matches. We might as well continue on this trend, and hopefully the fans won't get bored of it. I'm definitely not bored of it yet. I just don't see or understand the strange booking that's going on. In any indication, though, they had a five-star match, in my opinion, uh, at Backlash. Cody is doing an amazing job since returning to the WWE. Seth Rollins is continuing to be the shining star that he is. And fine, if they need to have one more match, so be it. I just hope that it tops the first two and that we can actually say, now that was a feud that everyone could learn for. Number four, Tony Khan continues to answer fans on Twitter and social media in a very unprofessional manner. A fan asked Tony Khan what he was doing to celebrate uh, Islander and Asian American month. Um, Tony responded by saying that he himself was an Islander Asian American uh, and that he was doing all he could to highlight the Japanese talent as well as any Islander talent that was on the roster in AEW. Another fan asked him why they were celebrating it and why we just couldn't have it be a regular day or month because this was all a new holiday. And Tony came back with a very unprofessional response. He then did so when a fan critiqued AEW 
and mentioned something about one of the wrestlers uh, not doing so well. Tony came back as a fan almost and said, well, his checkbook says that he's doing better than you. Tony Khan is a very arrogant person uh, off of TV because when he's on screen, he definitely gives this very um, this very shy, uh, uh, you know, uh, coy person. Also, oh, you know, off of TV and on social media, he definitely is a keyboard warrior. What this is doing, though, is definitely making Tony look uh, like the bad guy here. Now, I like AEW. I have been one of their supporters since they started. But if Tony continues to do this, um, I'm not going to take him so seriously. I'll still take AEW seriously. But I think maybe he needs to step away from TV and social media and um, (coughs) just allow the action to speak for itself because him speaking for it isn't doing them any favors. And if he's going to continue to take Donald Trump route and, um, you know, make fun of people on social media, then um, maybe he needs to be blocked because he, again, is not doing them any favors with his childlike antics. And finally, number five, Kota Ibushi released a statement and emails regarding his displeasure with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Kota has been there for quite some time. He attempted to come to the United States and take part in the WWE Cruiserweight Classic, which he did, but ended up losing in the semifinals. He wanted to sign with WWE, but was not able to because of visa problems. So he went back to New Japan. He had great success with Kenny Omega, great success with the Elite, great success on his own because he finally won the NJPW World Heavyweight title, the IWGP. But then injury struck, and now it seems that Kota is very upset because the uh, president and the rest of the company in New Japan are not looking to let him do anything new. They want him in that same um, same role, that supporting role of putting people over and allowing them to get to new heights and him staying in the same spot. And I guess he isn't very happy anymore. I guess I wouldn't be either, to be honest with you, but... In any indication, he released several emails that he had uh, copies of uh, of the New Japan Pro President and everyone else involved, talking very down to him, threatening him, and saying that he wasn't doing the job that he was required to. Uh, It wouldn't surprise me if Kota eventually leaves New Japan once he is let out of his contract and then becomes all elite. Whatever the case may be, I've always liked his wrestling ability. I think he is a great high flyer and one hell of a ground specialist as well. And if he chooses to go to All Elite, that's fine. I will still cheer for him. I will still support him. And I cannot wait to see what the next part of his career brings. Now, moving on to show reviews, NXT 2.0, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, We get highlight videos of what happened between Joe Gacy and Braun Breaker after spring breaking ended. Gacy says at the end, that he and Braun are on a journey together and then proceeds to leave Breaker laying in a field. Opening match is Toxic Attraction defending the women's tag titles against Wendy Chu and Roxanne Perez. Um, It was a great matchup for all four women involved. They proved their worth in the past. Perez and Chu fought hard, but Jane and Dolan used double-team moves and an unexpected offense to get the upper hand. Mandy Rose got involved and Chu took her out, but that left Perez to be double-teamed by Toxic, and they picked up the win at the 11-minute mark in a very good opener. Uh, We get a vignette of Grayson Waller and Tiffany Stratton shopping. 
They complain about everyone in NXT and act annoying as fuck. Uh, meanwhile, Joe Gacy is making his way to the ring to explain his actions last week. Backstage, Roderick Strong is working out and the Creeds approached him. The Creeds aren't happy that Roddy got involved in their match last week with the Viking Raiders and they don't need his help when they beat them next week is what they bluntly told him. Strong tells them he's brought in a new member who will guarantee them victory and it's Damon Kemp. I don't know who this guy is and the Creeds aren't very happy so we got to wait and see what's going on with Diamond Mine next week. Joe Gacy and his druids make their way to the ring. Gacy cuts a promo and lets Braun Breaker and the NXT universe know that the next chapter of their feud has begun. He introduces his two druids, two men who stood above the rest. He calls them his faces of change and tells Braun Breaker that he needs to join his change and movement. This was a very chilling and old school type promo. I enjoyed it very much, ladies and gentlemen. Soraya Potter runs in and wants Andre Chase to be her partner tonight against Tiffany Stratton and Grayson Waller. Andre needs a translator, which Bodie is willing to do, and they agree to a mixed tag match. We see footage from the first ever Ivy Nile Challenge. I guess this is going to be an ongoing thing. She has her students doing push-ups and says by the end of the night, she'll be the last one standing. We're not treated to the we're now treated to the bracket for the women's NXT breakout tournament, and we meet the competitors. I'm getting the feeling that it's going to be Nikita Lyons and Lash Legend in the finals. Let me know what you think. Sloan Jacobs takes on Fallon Henley in the first first round matchup. This was about four minute long match, kind of sloppy and did nothing for either girl. Henley got the upper hand and hit a shining wizard knee strike to get the win. Not a good start to the tournament, ladies and gentlemen. McKenzie then interviews Santos Escobar and Legato. He explains why they took out AJ last week and says that Tony D and his crew will learn the hard way that you don't get in the way of Legato. Alba Fire, a.k.a. Kylie Ray, is up next, and I hope she has a good opponent. All of a sudden, Tony D'Angelo stacks and two dimes take out Cruz, who is outside starting the car for Legato. They stuff him in a trunk and drive off. Alba Fire is taking on Amari Miller next. Uh, before this one begins, we get a flashback to when Lash Legend hurt Amari Miller two months ago. I've been saying Lash is dangerous, ladies and gentlemen. Match begins, and Miller has some skills. But Fire caught her off guard and took the fight to her. We saw a gory special, followed by a swanton bomb, and Alba Fire got the win in four minutes. I'm noticing a couple of trends here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Camelo Hayes and Trick Williams arrive at the arena. Why are they so late, though? Uh, as they uh, open the door, Solo Sequoia says, Not tonight, boys, and slams the door in their face, locking them out. Mackenzie is then shown interviewing Cora Jade. Cora says she may be in the ring tonight with a legend, but she is not the same young girl Natalia remembers. Natalia may be the gatekeeper of all the women's divisions, but Cora will knock that gate down tonight. Solo Sequoia is out next and ready to speak. Solo lets the NXT universe know that he wants the North American title. He'll be watching Grimes and Hayes at In Your House, and then he wants next. Grimes interrupts and tells him that Sequoia can have next it once he beats Carmelo Hayes. Carmelo and Trick attack Grimes from behind. Solo makes the um, save and then hands back the title to Cameron Grimes. Legato walks outside and discovers that Cruz has been taken out. Santos calls Tony D, who's already at his hideout, but it's only been 12 minutes. How did that happen? Uh, they did a back and forth like the movie Analyze This and both promised to bring the fight next week. Thank God we're finally getting a match. I like Legato Del Fantasma, 
but I'm definitely hating this storyline. Nathan Frazier is being interviewed by McKenzie, and he tells her it was really cool picking up the win at Super Break, uh, Spring Break. And Zion Quinn approaches, and he seems to have been turned heel. Wesley now shows up, and apparently we're getting a rematch between Zion and Quinn. Uh, between Zion Quinn and Wesley, but when? They don't let us know. Chase and Soraya are now taking on Jason, uh, Grayson Waller, excuse me, and Tiffany. This was actually a good match. A little bit of comedy and a lot of fast-paced action. Waller got in some offense, but Chase took the lead and helped Soraya hit a double drop kick to the outside on Grayson. Tiffany and Soraya traded pinfalls, and Tiffany even hit her corner corkscrew elbow, but only got a two count. Bodie caused a distraction, and Soraya rolled up Tiffany to get the win at the 16-minute mark. Finally, another match that was given time and had a good wrestling. Ivy Nile and her challenge is back. They're now doing lunges with a Bulgarian bag on their shoulders. Did someone steal Miro's luggage from AEW? This is already making no sense. Mackenzie is now talking to Robert Stone and Von Wagner. Stone lets everybody know that if they step in the way of Von Wagner, they will be hurt. Jacketman, a.k.a. Jiro, attacks out of nowhere, and they need to be pulled apart. Backstage Toxic Attraction approaches uh, Indy Hartwell to check up on her. Indy begins spilling her guts, but Mandy cuts her off, and they make fun of her. Please don't tell me that we're getting another uh, like cool or Bella Twins mean girl BS with Toxic Attraction. Let them be themselves. They don't need to be like anything else in the past. Nikita Lyons now takes on Ariana Grace. Apparently, Lyons is facing a former beauty pageant participant, and oh, what a smack. It goes downhill after the smack, though, because apparently this breakout tournament is filled with green women who botch. Lyons hits her finisher, and it's over in 3 minutes and 39 seconds. The trends I noticed earlier is that it's ladies' night on NXT, and a night where matches end quickly. Uh, we've had two matches given time, and everything else was rushed. And oh great, it's time for more of Ivy Nile's challenge. They're now doing rope snaps and pull-ups with Hercules chains around their necks. Uh, I truly hope this happens next week because it's thrilling, ladies and gentlemen. The last guy left falls and Niles wins. What did this prove, though? We already knew that she was a badass. We get to see Cora Jade and Natalia's promo video for the third time, and they're banking on this match being good. I kind of am, too. The Viking Raiders let the Creeds know that they have respect for them and that, that next week they'll get their payback. And it's now time for our main event, ladies and gentlemen. Natalia and Cora Jade, they start off and end really well. Cora Jade showed heart, no pun intended. And gave it her all. Natalia used every dirty trick in the book, even wrapping Cora's knee around the post. Jade tried to fight back, went for her finisher, but got countered, and Natalia put on the sharpshooter. Jade held out for a full minute, but then passed out to the submission. Natalia got the win in 15 minutes. They told a great story and gave us a really good main event here tonight. Post-match, Natalia shows respect for Jade and shakes her hand because she didn't tap out. Giving this episode of NXT a 3.5 out of 5. Yes, some of the matches were short, and a lot of the backstage stuff didn't make sense, but the opener with Toxic, the mixed tag match, and the main event definitely made up for it. So good on for NXT here. Now moving on to uh, AEW Dynamite. We open tonight's show with going straight to the ring with the, the what should be a great matchup. It's Dax Hardwood taking on Adam Cole. The Owen Hart tournament has officially begun. And these two are ready. What an incredible back-and-forth matchup as both men threw everything they had at one another. 
Cole used some heel tactics, but also kept Dax down on the ground. Hardwood finally made a comeback and uh, hit a very uh, huge suplex and then locked in the sharpshooter. Cole made it to the ropes. Both men exchanged reversals, and Cole locked on his own version of the sharpshooter. Dax hung out for as long as he could, but finally tapped out at the 15-minute mark. Adam Cole moves on, and that was a banger, ladies and gentlemen. We see a Darby Allen, Allen vignette, and he talks about coming to AEW and his fandom for Jeff Hardy. They'll meet later tonight in the Owen Hart tournament. Adam Page then makes his way out and on to commentary. CM Punk follows suit uh, for his match, and the Long Island crowd is hostile because of the Tarvez jersey Punk is wearing. Punk takes on John Silver. Another great match, back and forth wrestling match here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Punk played somewhat of a heel, but took it to Silver, and the crowd cheered on. Punk missed a splash in the corner, and Silver made his comeback, showing impressive strength and speed. Silver went for his finisher, but Punk countered and put Silver in a uh, in position down on the ground. He then flipped over the ropes and hit a buckshot lariat, sending a message to Adam Page and got the win in eight minutes. I wanted more because, man, this was good. Post-match, Adam Page made his way to the ring and went face-to-face with Punk. Punk says Hagenman is taking this personal, but it's just business. He says he just beat Page's boy, and that is a blueprint for double or nothing. Page may want not want to shake Punk's hand, but at the end of the match, Punk will be champion, and the Hangman will shake his hand, whether he is knocked out or conscious. He extends his hand, but Page flips him off and walks away. I cannot stress how much I am anticipating this matchup, ladies and gentlemen. Double or nothing cannot get here faster. Backstage, Tony Schiavone interviews Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. Britt says it's a conspiracy that she has to face a mystery opponent and the Joker, but doesn't care. Tony reminds them that if they both win their matches, they will face each other in the semifinals, but neither cares about that and walk off. Again, another pointless Britt Baker segment, fourth week in a row, ladies and gentlemen. Dan Housen takes on Tony Nese and talk about a squash match, and I can't figure out why. Dan Housen and Nese face off, but Mark Sterling causes a distraction. Nice attacks and then hits a running knee to get the win in 60 seconds. This was Housen's in-ring debut, so why do this? Post-match, Sterling puts Nice over as he continues to beat down Housen some more, and this brings out Hook. Nice and Sterling run off, and Housen extends his hand. Hook thinks about it and then finally shakes his hand, and I guess we have Hook Housen, ladies and gentlemen. I hope this doesn't ruin Hook's push. I didn't want this to happen. Maybe it'll be good. Who knows? Chris Jericho does a voiceover for a Mark Dock side of the ring vignette. It highlights MJF and Wardlow's feud, and I have to say it's hysterical and well done. Wardlow and MJF make their way to the ring for the contract signing with a full ring of security and Sean Spears. Max cuts a great pomo, but carries on a little bit much. But I guess they're in Long Island, so it's okay. MJF lets Wardlow know he has to first beat Sean Spears in a cage match with Max as the special guest referee. If he wins, he gets Max at double or nothing. Uh, and at double or nothing, if he wins, he can be completely done with Max and sign with AEW. But if he loses, he can never sign with AEW ever. Wardlow signs the contract and then proceeds to destroy all of security and Sean Spears, tries to get to Max, but Mark Sterling gets involved. For his troubles, he goes through the table with a powerbomb, and Wardlow looks down at Max to end the segment. It was a little long, not going to lie. took about 20 minutes, but still a good segment. Nothing great, though. 
We get a vignette of both Samoa Joe and Jay Lethal on Sunday. Done. Talking about their history. Joe says he will win the Owen Hart tournament, but after he's coming for Lethal, Dutt, and their giant. Jungle Boy and Ricky Starks battle for the FTW title next. Very good ground-based match, which was a surprise because Jungle Boy likes to fly. Starks and Perry matched up very well together, exchanging reversals throughout the match and trying to one-up one another. Swerve Strickland came out and accidentally caused a distraction, which allows Starks to hit the Rochambeau and get the win in nine minutes. Good match, great way to progress the storyline between everyone, and I kind of smell a triple threat match for the World Tag Team titles coming. Post-match, Keith Lee joins Strickland on the uh, stage. Starks and Hobbs look on from the outside, and Christian tries to settle down Jungle Boy after his loss. It's now time for the Jericho Appreciation Society, dumbest name ever, making their way to the ring to give their celebration speech. But for what? Daniel Garcia welcomes the AEW Galaxy to their victory speech. Maddie Magic, or whatever the short one's name is, says he's turned on by being in the JSA. Okay. Jericho puts down Long Island and gets the crowd going. He tells Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz to stay home and talks about Eddie's wife. This brings out Moxley, and Jericho tells him to leave because it's one on five. But here comes the Blackpool Combat Club. Jericho says it's still five on four, but then just then, Kingston... Ortiz and Santana pop up on the ring, and a wild brawl breaks out. Even William Regal gets a shot in on Jericho, and the JSA take a beatdown that JR says is a long time coming. Love this segment and everything that it's going to come from it. We hear from JR, Dustin Rhodes, and Tony Schiavone, and others regarding Serena Deeb versus Thunder Rosa at Double or Nothing. This is going to be one hell of a fight between two great women's wrestlers. Hater and Storm are next. This was okay, but nothing great. Hater used a lot of kicking and punching. Storm kept trying to set up something, but it was almost like Jamie was sandbagging her. Tony used a backslide into a pile driver, which would look like a botch, and Storm got the win in nine minutes. Like I said, for all the hype, it was just okay. Post-match, we see Martha Hart in the audience get an updated bracket on the run on the and a rundown for a rampage this Friday. Scorpio Sky then cuts a uh, pre-recorded promo about his match with Frankie Kazarian on Rampage. He says he's the face of TNT and expects a great match out of Cass. Kazarian is being interviewed next, but Sammy Guevara and Ty Conte interrupt. Sammy tries to warn Kaz about Sky, but he says he doesn't need advice and that Guevara's vlog sucks. Ouch. And now it's time, ladies and gentlemen, for our main event, Darby Allen to take on Jeff Hardy, and this has become a no-rules match. This was a wild ride, and Darby started it off with a drop kick and followed it up with a suicide dive to the outside. They pulled out every extreme move and weapon they could. We saw chairs and ladders being used, and both men put their bodies on the line. Jeff Hardy missed the splash, but Darby took him over and uh, set Jeff to the outside once again. Darby climbed a huge ladder and hit a swanton onto Hardy through a pile of chairs, which was a sick spot. Inside the ring, Allen hit the coffin drop. Hardy reversed the pin and got the win in 10 minutes. Damn, what a main event. Wanted more, but a great ending to a really good show. Post-match, the Undisputed Era, or Elite, excuse me, came out on the stage to look at the Hardys. Jeff will face Adam Cole next week, and that's a match I'm definitely waiting for. I give this week's show a 4 out of 5. It was great, but a couple of segments ran a little long, and one or two were pointless. Still a great episode of Dynamite, ladies and gentlemen. And finally... It is now time for our Rampage review. 
This week's show kicks off with our opening match, which was a six-man tag, and it was definitely a lot of fun. That triangle taking on Mark Quinn, Butcher, and Blade. All six men went fast and furious. Quinn and Pac traded uh, some high-flying maneuvers, and Phoenix looked better than ever since his return. Butcher and Blade tried to use a couple of double-team moves, but Penta and Pac continued to fight back. In the end, Penta and Phoenix hit Fear Factor and picked up the win at the 12-minute mark. Another good opener. Post-match, the lights go out, and here come the House of Black. That triangle wants to fight right now, but the House of Black is just there to send a message. The lights go back out, and House of Black is gone. Sean Spears then takes on Bear Boulder. Bear had control from the beginning of this one with a goozle and a huge power slam. Spears finally moved out of the way of an avalanche in the corner and made a comeback. Spears hit his DVD finisher and picked up the win in an impressive seven-minute matchup. Nice to see Sean Spears wrestle on TV again, ladies and gentlemen. Post-match, Spears beat Bear down with the chair and sent a message to Wardlow before their matchup next week on Rampage. Uh, excuse me, Dynamite. Mark Sterling cut a promo and said he will not fight Housen and Hook at Double or Nothing. Tony Nese says he can handle them on his own. I seriously doubt that, Mr. Nese. We now go to Ruby Soho taking on Riho. Really good traditional matchup between two of these women. Riho used her speed to keep Ruby guessing, and Ruby used some good ground submissions to try and slow Riho down. They went back and forth until Riho countered a pin, but Soho kicked out and hit her finisher out of nowhere. Ruby got the win in 10 minutes and moves on in the Owen Hart tournament. And I got a feeling in this one we're going to get Ruby versus Britt in the finals. If it's not, then it's still going to be a great finals, but I think they have a lot of history and it would lead to a great storyline. Billy Gunn is backstage with his new faction of the Acclaimed and Gun Club. He tells them that he got them a match for Dark and that they need a new catchphrase and hand gesture, but not suck it or a crotch chop. This was actually pretty funny, ladies and gentlemen. If you didn't get a chance to see it, go back and watch. Tony Schiavone interviews Jade and the baddies. He tells them that Sheeta is injured and Red Velvet has no appointment. Mark Sterling says Red should win by forfeit because of the injury, and Jade agrees. This was done only to announce Sheeta's injuries and serve no other purpose. Mark Henry does a split-screen interview with Frank Kazarian and Scorpio Sky. Boatmen still say they're still friends, and the matchup will be the best thing Rampage has ever had. Henry tells us it's time. And, well, they said it was going to be good, and they kept to their word. Sky was flawless, and Frankie was innovative. The crowd was behind both men, and rightfully so. After the great, after a great match, and one I didn't want to end, Dan Lambert caused a distraction, allowing Ethan Page to hit Kaz with the belt, which also allowed Scorpio Sky to get the win at the 17-minute mark. Incredible matchup that had an even better story. Post-match, Sky and Page argue about Ethan's involvement, and then Sky turns on Kazarian. It was all a setup, and the beatdown starts. Lambert gets on the mic and belittled Sammy Guevara and Tay Conte, who are watching from ringside, and the show goes off the air. I give this week's episode a 4.5 out of 5. It was almost perfect but had a and had a ton of good. My only real problem was the Jade promo, which we could have done without, but I get it. She's the TBS champion, and she does deserve TV time. So that's going to do it for today's show, ladies and gentlemen. I do not have any uh, grinds my gears for this week because there was really nothing going on that bothered me that badly. So why waste it, right? 
I want to thank you for joining me. I want to thank you for your continued support of this show and all the shows under the We Can't Wrestle umbrella. I will see you next week with more on If You Smell What the Arch is cooking.